0: Hello, welcome to this episode of the Power Podcast. Early this year, we had some conversations with advocates who work in various roles for power. The idea behind these chats was to talk to some of our staff about what got them into advocacy, why it's so important, and to get to know some of the people who work for power. 26 to the 30th of October 2020 is Advocacy Awareness Week, And so we decided that this would be a good time to release these podcasts so that you, the listener, can find out a bit more about what we do. In this episode of the podcast, I talk to my colleague Sonia about what got her into advocacy, the challenges of doing what we do remotely, and a case that she found particularly rewarding to work on. We then go on to talk about two of Sonia's passions, running and poetry. To end the podcast, Sonia very kindly agreed to read us one of her poems, so stay tuned for that. And just to give the start of this podcast a little bit of context, Sonia and I were both talking about having a haircut, which we were quite excited about at the time because it was the first time since March that the hairdressers were open because of the coronavirus restrictions. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today on the podcast we have Sonia, who's an independent advocate working in Nottinghamshire. How are you, Sonia?
1: Um yeah, apart from having to have my central heating on in July today, I'm fine, thank you.
0: Oh, it is it's pretty horrendous weather, isn't it?
1: I've just got soaked going out for a walk, so yeah, just drying off and warming up. Oh,
0: nightmare. Uh, nightmare. I'm yeah,
1: good.
0: Okay, well good good to know. Um How are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. I've You told me earlier that you've got a haircut booked. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I've got one booked today and I, I could not be more ready for it, to be honest. I
1: know. I don't want people to think I've just rushed out to get one, but actually I was on my, uh, I was, I had one booked in March when we went into lockdown, so my hairdresser like rang me as soon as he opened and said you're like top of the list, so yeah, yeah. So, luckily for me, I'm booked in tomorrow, so can't. I am. I'm a bit, a bit nervous about, not nervous, but it's a bit like oh, it's gonna be weird, and you're not supposed to talk much, and like that's one of the things that I like about going to the hairdresser. It <laughs> is, yeah, yeah. As well as the yeah, way, yeah. But,
0: and the stereo stereotypical question of like um, where are you going on your holidays, you just can't yeah. ask it because no one's been anywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> No. Um, yeah, no, it's it's going to be good. I'm I'm looking forward to it, but it's the same. I've got to wear a mask, and we're not yeah. allowed any music and things like that. So.
1: Got bring, got bring your own drink.
0: Yes, I've not i uh, not planned for that actually. That's a good a good tip. Yeah.
1: But,
0: yeah, yeah, it's good because I think you and I are both in the same boat. Like, we're not going to be able to see soon if we don't, like, sort it out. Yeah, definitely.
1: And mine seems
0: to naturally... It's getting bigger. Yeah, it's just it, like... I, like, I like the Beatles, but I'm not... Like, my hair, for some reason, just seems to turn into, like, a Beatles-style haircut if I don't do anything with it. So it looks like I'm a super fan. Um, But, yeah, hopefully it'll all be off today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the first question I don't want to talk too much about coronavirus and things like that because this is more about us as advocates but it's an important question because it's affecting us all at the minute. So how are you finding working remotely during coronavirus? You know do you miss that human contact with colleagues and with our clients?
1: Um, Yeah I, I do I really miss it. I mean I think that The technology that we have available has helped massively Um, and obviously we are remote workers anyway, so in terms of not seeing colleagues, I guess it's just not going in the office on the, you know, semi-frequent occasions where you would and not having our our meetings in person. But I think the weekly kind of catch-up that we've been doing has worked quite well. Uh, but with clients, it's really, it's just, in some cases it works well with video calls and things. But I just feel like in a lot of cases, it's almost like you've had a sort of a sense removed. There's so much you can't do and infer face to face that it just feels like it just makes makes everything a little bit more difficult. And, and, and for the clients as well, things like not having access to private telephone to have a conversation on you know like in her clients for example that's really difficult and and problematic and you know you feel that you're not giving them the full support that um, that they need really.
0: So if we can talk about before coronavirus because it you know it's so strange that before March it wasn't part of our lives and now it seems to dominate everything but if we could cast our minds back to when you when you first got into advocacy when you first started at power so what was it that kind of got you into this work were you were you working in health and social care before?
1: Um, I was working in local government so I was working as like a benefits advisor for Derby City Council housing and, and council tax benefit Um, which I enjoyed um, but um, it was perhaps a little bit one-dimensional. I knew that I wanted to work with people and I knew that I wanted to work with you know in supporting people but I wasn't quite sure what that would look like and then I I actually saw the job, um, a job as an advocate advertised um, and that was in, it was around about 2009, it was a NHS complaints advocate job at Carers Federation and I didn't know really what advocacy was um, but when I looked into it I was like I think I've always had a strong sense of fairness and it just really appealed to me the whole idea of advocacy um, and yeah went for the interview got the job but it turned out to be a really good fit and apart from a short kind of sojourn working for the NHS for a couple of years in complaints and governance I've been an advocate ever since so I've worked as an advocate for, for quite a few years now I did my um, NAQ back in 2011 I think so yeah I, I, I really feel that it's a good fit for me you know just the idea of working with vulnerable people uh, protecting rights getting you know supporting people through these processes where they're so disempowered to a point where perhaps there's a you know a bit of equilibrium regained for them and and also to see them you know to see people be able to take on more for themselves and, and do more for themselves it's really rewarding
0: and it sounds like you got out of being a benefits advisor just at the right time, because I guess that was just before <laughs> PIP and all of the universal credit yeah, changes. it came wasn't in.
1: actually those benefits, those those employment related benefits that I was dealing with. But um, yeah, it was it was housing and council tax benefit. But um, yeah, it was close close to that. So.
0: Right, I see. Yeah, I see.
1: yeah. No, I mean, I, to be honest, I I know people that are still in that job now that I left sort of 10 years ago and, and you know that's that's fine um but yeah it was a, I, I like what I like about our role is that it's so varied we're out and about well <laughs> we were out and about um it, it's um over the last few years I've had to learn a lot which has you know obviously been challenging in in, in some ways but ultimately you know, I like learning and I've, I've enjoyed it
0: so have you got kind of a particular case that you can think of where you were really pleased with the outcome?
1: I thought about that when you asked me 10 minutes ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't provide the, you with uh, enough notice on that question, um, did I really?
1: Yeah, actually though, funnily enough though, Tom, it's what, the one that occurred to me, and it's not like a, it wasn't like a massive sort of safeguarding or anything like that, but um, a case when I first really started independently working as a NIA so doing all the different roles and it was a care Act case and it's one where you you may remember you came out for um, with me to do a visit and I did quite a few visits and it was a a not really very old chap, but a, a chap who didn't really have any family uh, and friends, living on his own in a flat. He'd had a stroke. He wasn't, you know, he's not. He wasn't born here. He was from an Eastern European country. He didn't really speak much English, um, and his only sort of support was um, a neighbour. And the neighbour was sort of saying, "Well, I think he needs to go into care. He can't look after himself." Kind of thing. The client, for want of a better word wanted to stay in his flat, clearly, you know, despite not having much English. And, you know, he was pretty ad- adamant about that and clear about that. And um, the conclusion was that, you know, he got to stay in his flat. He got a package of care um, and it was just working really well for, for, for him. And, um, yeah, it just felt like a really good outcome.
0: Definitely. That's a really good one. So are, are there any bits of, of being an advocate that you're not so keen on?
1: Um... <laughs>
0: it's fine it's a it's a safe space no no
1: no. I think um I think that you agree with me on this it's it's the paperwork the notes the reports reports especially I mean I I think I'm aware of the importance of them and I'm really careful with my, my notes and I'm really thorough with my reports but um it's um it's a slog isn't it
0: yeah I completely agree and um it, it, across all of the jobs that I've done in health and social care increasingly so over the years actually there's so much about recording whether it's kind of covering covering your own back by writing sort of notes or whether it's writing notes you know to prove you know that we're doing our job well basically a lot of us feel the same way isn't it that it's it's a necessary evil but it's not yes, it's not what you get in the job describe for. it a
1: necessary evil yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, but it's not like, oh, I love writing reports, I love like having to write reads and reads of notes after every phone call, so yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think anyone would say that would.
0: So, um, on a bad day at work, say you've had a you know kind of an upsetting or an emotional visit or something like that, what what kind of things can you do to give yourself a lift? Do you have kind of any? any sort of self-help techniques or anything that helps you to to kind of improve your mood
1: um yeah i i i find that running really helps um just being outside in the fresh air and just the actual act of of running it's a moving meditation i, I love running i'm not like a particularly fast runner or anything but i just find it sort of so good for a mental health and you know just Getting things into perspective, thinking things through. Sometimes it's it's just um, it's a tonic. So yeah, that would be my go-to after a after a stressful day.
0: That's really good. I like that term, moving meditation. I've never heard that before. Yeah, (laughs) I wish I wish that I could get to a stage in my running where it feels like moving meditation. Because usually it feels like kind of (laughs) like I don't know, like I'm gonna collapse. Any minute ah,
1: slow down,
0: yeah, I know what you mean. there are, but there are times when you know probably brief brief points during a run where like it's really, really kind of zen and really enjoyable, so that's good advice, slow down
1: <laughs> for me, like a big part of it is just being, and i'm being outside, I'm lucky enough to live. although I live in the city centre, I live near a really big lovely park and it's just been a I love it anyway but during lockdown it's been an absolute kind of boon really to have somewhere so close that's beautiful green space to get out to every day so
0: yeah I I, I really do sympathize with people that haven't been able to get out you know kind of like middle of London or something like that and haven't got many green spaces around them kind of kind of lucky living in nottinghamshire derbyshire you've normally got somewhere on the doorstep that you can go out and get a bit of fresh air so so in addition to your kind of day day job your your work as an independent advocate is there anything that you do kind of additional projects on the side i'm I'm thinking obviously we've had these conversations before but you work with the women's center
1: yeah um that's um a a big thing really i mean i've um in the last couple of, of years i've done quite a lot of work with the women's center and i've done sort of the, the equation the free um kind of domestic violence training with equation um and i've done some work around how to make our service what they call gender responsive and, and trauma informed. Um, I mean, I, you know, ideally, if it was um, if it was my service, I'd like to, you know, be able to say that all our advocates were DV trained, uh, offer people the, you know, the option of of, of having um, either gendered advocate and, and things like that, and just um, make it a bit more of a a pillar of the service that we're responsive in, in that way and I think we're really good and we're working towards that but that's not my personal kind of um, and, and we've got some good volunteers who've really helped in the area of like putting us in touch with people and um, yeah the Women's Centre have given us space let us run training let us run like advocacy and empowerment training that myself and my um, colleague Jill have like put, to, put together a package um, we've done stuff around uh, International Women's Day with the Women's Center. so um, yeah, sadly because of lockdown, um, you know all of that stopped. so I'm just hoping that um, we're able to kind of start doing more of that stuff again when when we can.
0: it's It's interesting what you say on, and I think it's something that we could be a little bit more sensitive to is offering a gender appropriate advocate for every referral. So almost making that an, an option for people to select who they would feel yeah. more comfortable with.
1: And, and obviously that has to be managed like correctly because there are people, as with everything, that may abuse that. But I think you just need to have a bit of common sense around it. Um, and I think, yeah, sometimes it could be something that's considered when, when it perhaps isn't, that perhaps this person might really benefit from either a, a male or a female advocate for, for whatever reason. But you know, obviously,
0: we've only got the resources we've got as well. So. So that's that's all really interesting, um, Sonia. It's something else I want to um, talk about because obviously we've we've sort of talked about it together previously, and I know that you're a very, a very keen and a very talented poet. So would oh, it? Thank you. <laughs> would it be? Possible for you to kind of talk a little bit about how you how you got into that. How did you first start writing?
1: Um, yeah, sure. I've always really written creatively in, in one form or another. I've always enjoyed writing um, Suffered a big loss a few years ago and like part of my way of processing that was to write and so, like, sometimes what was coming out was poetry. <laughs> and, yeah. so I, and it probably wasn't very good poetry at that point, and it certainly wasn't poetry that I showed anyone. Um, but I kind of thought, you know, I've been dithering around with short stories and scripts, and, and I kind of thought, oh, well, I'm enjoying this. Maybe I should just focus on one thing. So I decided to focus on learning more about writing poetry and, and studying it and so I tried to get myself to lots of workshops, tried to read more poetry and um, from that I got involved in like the local spoken word scene and one thing led to another. Um, I got, um, uh, I was a finalist, I was picked because of a poem that I'd written to be a finalist in an international slam that was part of uh, Nottingham Poetry Festival um, in 2018 um, and after that I got in fact last year 2019 um, and then I got a place on an arts council funded course that was um, for poets over the age of 30. I know you didn't think it did you?
0: Um, so
1: <laughs> So that was really good and just kind of developed for, uh, with with um, the course. And, um, yeah, I've just met lots of people. I've been asked to do sets. I've just sort of kind of rolled with it and, and really enjoyed it. And um, I'm in a couple of poetry collectives now. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite a wild ride, really. I didn't expect it. Well, I didn't really expect anything from it. And, you know, I just kind of carry on doing it because I enjoy it writing and and in some cases sort of reading my words um so yeah
0: yeah that's that's fantastic and it's and it's amazing that something that um probably started off as being therapeutic to you and and possibly still is but but getting your stuff out there and uh, you know expressing yourself is can benefit other people as well can't it i think
1: it can, yeah, it, it can. Um, and the poetry community is just such a lovely community to be part of. Um, you know, for a start, they're all word geeks, which, you know, I feel like I've just found my my happy place with, with a kind of group of people. And um, everyone's really just lovely and supportive. And, um, you know, it, that makes it sound really wet. It's, you know, there's lots of, yeah, it's just a nice environment to be in. There's lots of funny
0: stuff and political stuff and rude stuff and sweary stuff, and, but yeah, as a community, they're just very nice people. So yeah, yeah, and I think um, for me, because I've I've always kind of enjoyed poetry or enjoyed song lyrics and things like that. But when you you know when you're in school and, and you kind of study poems that are written down in front of you, and and some of them will some of them will kind of strike a chord and you'll enjoy them, but like, read, reading poetry is so different to actually hearing it spoken. And because I went to, I think I've been to, like, only a couple of open mic nights, but it, it really struck me the difference between reading something on a page and having the actual poet kind of recite that poem with passion and with feeling.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. It's really, it can be a really powerful spoken word.
0: Yeah, have you have you got any particular poets that that you'd recommend?
1: Uh, yeah, too many to mention, really. I mean, um, in terms of uh, local poets, uh, um, you may know of, um, well, you will know of um, Ravel in Nottingham. Um, she came and performed at our events last year.
0: Yeah, and, she was incredible.
1: And, um, yeah, I mean, she's uh, Ravel's just going from strength to strength. Um, she should have been performing with a, a nationally sort of quite famous and successful poet. You may have heard of called Holly Mcnish, um, but unfortunately that had to be cancelled because of everything's been cancelled <laughs> at the moment. Um, so yeah, and, and, and Ravel, you know, she talks a lot about mental health, and um, so yeah. Um, and then in Derby you've got the, the, the sort of the icon that is J.B. Thrasybulu, who's the Derby County poet um, uh, and then um, Sophie Sparum uh, there's a brilliant poet called Emma Island who has a, a, a poem that she does um, that's a love letter to the NHS which is which is just great and she's hilarious um, yeah, just so loads of really great sort of grassroots local poets. There's uh, Manjit Sahota in um, Nottingham, who's um, uh, heads up Poets Against Racism. Uh, so obviously that's very timely at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, often these are people that do work in um, health and social care. Like I came across Manjit last week or the week before at a community community cohesion meeting where they have a difficult conversations meeting and this one was about racism and i was like hey manja and you have know, this post racism t-shirt on and it's like because there are a lot of quite you know politically engaged um, people um there's a a, a chat that i know in derby who is um works a lot in nottingham around and um, with all his autism he's like a specialist social worker in that area and he's a poet as well so it's it's funny how the two worlds sort of collide a bit but yeah i mean i can sort of say some i can say some bigger names sort of famousy poets if you like but i just thought i'd like to mention more kind of local ones so
0: no i yeah. think that's i think that's really good and and um I think that's part of the appeal to me is that it's such a, such an accessible form of art, isn't it? It's something that anybody can start and, and kind of get into. And certainly, I mean, yeah. I can only comment on Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, but there's open mic nights and places available that where you can go and, and, and get involved quite easily. It's got a bit of... Yeah, a, it's
1: such a... Yeah, they're everywhere. And obviously the great thing, at the moment is that although there's no kind of in-person events you can go to an open mic in new zealand at the moment you know it, it, there's been a surge in online stuff um which kind of uh, ties in to in a way to what we do as advocates because um it's highlighted i think how you know for, for we've all experienced in lockdown how it feels to be Kind of um, stop from doing things because of because they're not accessible to you. So we've all been in the shoes of you know perhaps someone who's um, not able to access a, a building or you know not able to get out for whatever reason because none of us can get out. So it's kind of made you realise oh gosh you know this is this is not good. There needs to be more out there in the form of you know things available online and. I think that's it's sort of made a very important point about accessibility (laughs) sorry I've gone off on a tangent
0: now no no I think that's really I think that's really relevant and um, it's it's a bit ironic that something that's you know the the whole world or most of the world have felt individuals have felt completely isolated but we've all been almost united in that isolation everybody's been in the same boat so yeah like you say anything anything that's that brings people together and helps people to make, kind of come to terms with that is, is a really good thing. I don't suppose uh, it's, it's up to you whether you feel comfortable or not, but if you wanted to read one of your poems, I, th- I think that would be really great.
1: Uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, and I thought about, because uh, um, I did, I was recently asked by BBC Radio Derby to write a poem for Carers Week, um, but that one's quite long and, um, I've actually just on the subject of accessibility um, and accessibility to the arts and events and things. So I recently entered a competition that was um, it's um, something called Project Hope, um, and it's it's a project and. a kind of a, a scheme that's being started up to, um, to, to to make the arts more accessible and, and um, to you know put events online and, and things like that. And they had a competition, um, you had to submit a spoken word video, it could only be like a minute and a half, I think, and it had, the, the theme was hope. So I wrote a poem for that and submitted it and I won second place last week. Um, so I thought if it's alright with you. I would do
0: that poem yeah congratulations that sounds that sounds great it'd be really good to hear it
1: okay so it doesn't really have a title last decade ended with a flood and this one started with disease but don't let perfect ruin good there's still so much in life to please this decade started with disease but still sparks joy in many ways it will not bring us to our knees we laugh out loud at end of days it's little things that get us through spring buds opening up like eyes a baby animal or two the promise of a new sunrise the hope that politicians will soon be exposed in all their lives and not just tell us to move on as thousands more sick people die so even When the clapping stops and short rainbows are washed away. This will not bring us to our knees. We'll laugh out loud at end of days. Last decade ended with a flood and this one started with disease. But don't let perfect ruin good. There's still so much in life to please.
0: I want to thank Sonia so much for coming on the podcast and and for reading out a brilliant poem at the end. Um, And I also wanted to give another shout out for the poets that Sonia name checked during our chat. So those names were Ravel Said, Jamie Thrasavulu, Sophie Sparham, Emma Island and Manjit Sahota. And you can check them all out online. Thank you for listening.